This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Mario Schlosser, co-founder and CEO of Oscar Health. Mario, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Great to be here. Thanks, Laura, for taking the time. Now, I know we've got a lot to talk about, and Oscar Health is really some exciting things ahead. But before we dive into my questions, can you tell us just a little bit more about yourself and your background? Yeah, certainly. I probably have a somewhat unconventional background for a health insurance executive in the U.S. I'm from Germany originally, and um, I grew up uh, programming, really, for the computer science, um, first in Germany, then when was a visiting research, researcher at Stanford in computer science, um, was a, in consulting for a while at McKinsey, and then actually right before Oscar, uh, the most recent thing I did with my then later on Oscar co-founder, Josh, is we started an online gaming company. And uh, that was in some ways a preparation for what we're doing with Oscar in the US healthcare system because it allowed us to sort of like study user and member psychology, if you will, how to motivate folks to, you know, explore certain parts of a game's landscape. And I think a lot of this psychology motivating people on how to navigate the healthcare landscape, um, we connected the dots on inside of Oscar. Got it. Wow, that's fascinating to hear. So when you think about that time that you had, just kind of thinking about the psychology of the user experience, how they're growing and developing and moving that space. Was there anything that you were surprised by? You know, what what did you really find that helped you with Oscar as you were developing that? I think one of the things certainly is that the U.S. healthcare system has so many low-hanging fruit still uh, ripe for the plucking, if you will. In other words, there's a lot of areas of U.S. healthcare where uh, members or patients could both save money and have better outcomes. And that's not often the case in consumerized industries, right? If you want to have a faster car, it's probably going to be more expensive. Or, you know, a bigger computer screen, it's going to be more expensive. And in U.S. healthcare, there really is still to this day almost no correlation between what something costs and the quality of that particular thing, whether it's a physician you're going to go to or a hospital you're getting a surgery at, um, very little connectivity between the price of that service and then the ultimate outcome, the ultimate quality. And so when at Oscar, we help members navigate the healthcare system, that's a really good place to be in a sense for an insurance company because we were motivated to become a health insurer in, in, in the healthcare system. Because if we are able to save members money, we would benefit financially from that as well. And if we can save people money and get them to a better spot in the healthcare system and get better outcomes, that's a very nice double win, right? Both we win, the member wins, and really, I would say, all of US healthcare wins. Um, and so that is almost was one surprise to me that there are so many of these low-hanging fruits in the system. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, I think that's really great perspective. And especially coming from outside the healthcare system in, you know, I can imagine there's a lot um, that you found or that you could see that really, uh, you know, was ripe for um, additional cost savings as well as benefiting patients. So when you look Mm -hmm. at where Oscar's at today, what's your growth strategy for the next year or two? What are you really focused on? Uh, We really chose to be a direct-to-consumer health insurer. So any growth that somehow pushes the healthcare system more into the direction of uh, you're going to buy a product that bundles the best services, the best experience, the best outcomes into kind of one monthly premium, any market that works this way, we want to be a part of. Uh, and for us right now, for the next two or three years, that's going to be the affordable care markets. Um, that's grown now to be 
I think 16.5 million members is, as of the latest counts. I think it's very well on the way towards the 20 million member mark. That's after a short eight years at this point of the market's existence. So I took Medicare Advantage, something like 30, uh, 25 years, something like that to get to somewhat bigger than that. Uh, and I think it really is because in the individual market, in the ACA marketplace, you see a lot of this dynamicism and um, dynamism and a lot of this kind of consumerization and the forces that that unleashes um, at play. You have more price competition. You have more competition among insurance companies to uh, create a better product design for members. People can really pick and choose what they want to buy for themselves. Uh, and so for us, that market's going to be the growth strategy and the, and the growth driver. The market will grow quite a bit over the next two or three years or so and beyond that, partly because we're going to have Medicaid redeterminations, meaning people will move from Medicaid into the marketplace. If there is to be a recession, which I certainly don't hope for, but um, if that is, it does end up being the case, uh, typically membership in the ACA will go up as well. And in the medium to long term, I think that more and more employers, which still dominate US health insurance at least, will, in my view, start saying, hey, I shouldn't be in the business of picking insurance coverage and deciding insurance coverage for my members. And just like what happened with 401k plans 40 years ago, increasingly employers will shift out of picking insurance coverage for their members and simply say, here's some pre-tax dollars, and you can go into the ACA marketplace and buy insurance coverage for yourself. And if that were to happen, and I think it certainly will happen, it's happening right now already, we're seeing some signs that that's the case, then Oscar, I think, is there at the very beginning of a very, very big seismic shift in the way not just U.S. health insurance, but U.S. health care works because network design changes, product design changes, and this, the user psychology we started the conversation about becomes so much more dominant in all of this than it ever was before, and that's a great market for us to be in. That makes a lot of sense, you know, and it's really something that we're seeing from healthcare organizations across the board and focusing on that um, consumers, consumerization of healthcare, the member experience, the patient experience, and those kinds of things. And so when you look at the different uh, people on the market and who are using the ACA plans and, and those who potentially could be using Oscar, um, what are you seeing from them? What What is their demands and how do you see those maybe changing over the next couple of years as the whole healthcare system evolves? I think what you see in the ACA more than anywhere else is the desire to get affordable healthcare coverage. I mean, obviously everybody would want that, but if you're in an employer plan, you have very little control over that as an end user. You really can't quit your insurance company. You got to quit your employer. Right? That's sort of the way we force these two things into this, into being the same uh, into the second, it's the same category in the way the U.S. healthcare system works right now. And what we see in the marketplace is that if Oscar as an insurance company in the way we design networks and products and the website and the mobile app and our customer service and so on, if we can demonstrate to you that you are going to have more affordable healthcare as, part of, as being part of Oscar, you're going to buy the products. And that doesn't just mean a lower monthly premium. It means, for example, that we were the first insurance company to, way back in the days, give people free virtual urgent care. And then we were the first ACA insurer that launched virtual primary care plan designs as well. So you can attribute yourself as a member of Oscar 
to an Oscar Medical Group virtual primary care physician, and then you get further discounts. Whatever drug that doctor prescribes to you will also be free as a consequence of that. And so in all of this design, we can really make sure that you get, that, that we give you something worth a dollar and the costs that we in the back end have is less than that, that's, um, that dollar. Uh, we saw this most recently with um, what we were doing or what we are doing with uh, diabetes-focused plan designs. We've got some plan designs in several states that work particularly well for folks with diabetes. Uh, they get certain benefits bundled into that that you otherwise wouldn't be able to get in the ACA marketplace. And those plans work beautifully well, both from a financial point of view for the member, for us, and then also from a point of view of driving better outcomes because affordability or the lack thereof is still the biggest impediment to better quality outcomes in healthcare. And if you're worried as an end user that you can't afford a certain drug or can't afford to go to the doctor or something like that, that's often when things go off the rails. And so as the insurance company, we can keep that from happening. So, you know, that's been really the biggest driver. Affordability is the important thing. I would say perhaps another aspect of the Affordable Care Act market is that um, it tends to be a lower income membership base. Uh, and so they often have less access to the you know, fancier aspects of US healthcare that you get if you work for a big technology company or a big bank or whatever else. And you know, even for those folks, healthcare often doesn't work very well. They get certainly harder um, if you're in that lower income range. And I think that makes it for us particularly fruitful and satisfying that we can help um, that segment of the population navigate healthcare better. And I think it has also the true hallmarks of sort of like a really disruptive product because if you can make it work in, in, in that kind of segment, then a lot of the, I think, mechanisms we, we, we hone there and a lot of the product designs we come up with there will work elsewhere in the healthcare system as well. And that's for us sort of like a nice way of growing into the rest of the healthcare system over time. That's fantastic. And really always great to have that mission-driven focus within any organization. Now, could you tell yeah. us about the most exciting and impactful initiative or project that you're working on right now? Yeah, you know, I would, uh, I would, my mind almost immediately goes towards something that will sound cool, you know, like predicting some, some, you know, healthcare <laughs> utilization or um, some clever way in which we rearrange member experience. But I actually would want to say some of the most exciting work we've done in the last 10 years is really entirely in the plumbing and in the weeds of how U.S. healthcare really works. Uh, as the insurance company, first and foremost, we're responsible for making dollars flow back and forth in the healthcare system. And that really means that everything we can do to make that more automated and more efficient and faster is going to benefit the healthcare system the most. Meaning if we are able to take friction out of claims adjudication or friction out of utilization management, um, or if we're able to give providers more information in more real time when they are in a value-based care arrangement with us, about 48% of OSC members are in some kind of value-based care arrangements between us and the provider they're using. If we can do those kind of things, which are very much in the weeds of the plumbing of the healthcare system, I think that's really oftentimes where people don't look. That's where you have some of the biggest issues in your healthcare. I mean, there's all kinds of statistics about how 15% or 20% of all U.S. healthcare dollars are basically 
you know, sort of getting sunk in all kinds of useless back and forth admin. There's all kinds of arms races between providers and payers in revenue cycle management. And then on the other hand, payment integrity efforts <laughs> and often the same consulting firms on both ends, by the way. Um, and we decided, and I think this makes us unique as a health insurer, really among startups and incumbents in US healthcare, we decided to build our entirely own machinery and infrastructure in-house. We have our own claim system, we have our own utilization management systems, and this really all runs on software we created in the last you know, five, six, seven years or so. And what I find right now most exciting is that uh, in particular on all of our payment systems, we've been building those in-house for the past six years at this point. And there's some remaining legacy pieces we're still running side by side with our new systems. And they're getting switched off by the third quarter, fourth quarter of this year. And that's an exciting end of this very, very long roadmap. And um, it'll enable us to automate even more, uh, do things even more quickly than other insurance companies and really anybody else in the healthcare system. And it opens the door towards more you know, real-time adjudication of claims and some real-time payments and things like that. Things that we are all used to at this point from, I don't know, buying plane tickets online or, you know, paying with your phone at the coffee shop or something like that, but which in healthcare really still don't work. And so that to me is the most exciting thing. It's this kind of plumbing improvements in, in US healthcare. Absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense, you know, and is really something that um, is exciting about where we're headed, being able to have that technology, um, have that data and see the digital transformation happening in front of us so that, as you mentioned, we're able to give more access to care and better care and better outcomes to patients. And yeah. speaking of all of these changes in the healthcare space, I can imagine, you know, it takes a, a different type of leader in order to be successful and effective within, you know, the healthcare space as it's moving and changing and evolving. What do you think some of the most successful healthcare leaders are doing now to make sure that their organizations continue to thrive in the future? Ah, yeah, uh, that's a great question. And um I'd love to get other people's answers to that. <laughs> it's certainly a challenge every day. Um, I would say to speak from direct experience, I think not just getting folks into your organization who just have been in healthcare all of their career is important. I mean, the right mix is certainly important. Right? You can't reinvent everything. U.S. healthcare is full of people and companies who try to sort of like barge their way into it. Uh, I don't know, technology companies and we then discovered it's way more difficult than just deploying some cool code somewhere or whatever. But having some really nice composition of your organization from people coming from, coming from healthcare and technology and, uh, you know, maybe hospitality and so on, because it's a fifth of GDP, almost a fifth of GDP at this point. And that really means it's influenced by pretty much every walk of life and uh, an industry that's out there. And so you should reflect that um, in the organization as well, from a diversity point of view and from kind of diversity of thought point of view as well. Um, and maybe a bit more of a concrete point of view there would be, uh, this almost sounds like a, like a trope at this point, but reading about machine learning and what's happening in particular in large language models. Uh, I mean, I'm computer science originally my background and I've probably, I would say, been, I, I went to college at a time when uh, at least neural networks were in a deep freeze winter 
meaning computer science, academia, and, and industry thought that they're never going to amount to anything. Uh, and that, that was sort of like a failed concept in machine learning and artificial intelligence. And that's completely changed in the last probably 10 years at this point. But in the last six months has totally changed with the advent of these large language models um, uh, and transformer models and things like that. And that will play a huge role in healthcare. And I really don't mean, by the way, to have an email written for you by ChatGPT. I mean, that's pointless and, and it's a fun game, whatever, but it's not going to drive any value. Um, uh, this is like a little bit saying, you know, if I ask, if you went to the Louvre in Paris, uh, you're not going to come back to me and say, oh my God, I love the frame around the Mona Lisa, <laughs> you know? And that is sort of like what generating language through ChatGPT is. It's the frame around an idea. That's what language really is. But these language models over time will have an astounding ability of creating structured outputs. And, um, and I think that's what they can be very powerful at in US healthcare, because a lot of what makes the system run is structured output of some kind. It's claim system configurations, it's hospital network, hospital network contracts configurations. It is sort of like you know care path logic and things like that. These are very structured protocols at their core. And automating some of that, I think there's a huge value in that. And I think these transformer models will be able to do that going forwards. And I think you got to pay attention to that um, because that's incredibly important for anybody in healthcare and other industries as well, but healthcare being one of the really important places where this can be applied. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really great discussion and I look forward to connecting with you in the future. Yeah, absolutely. It's fun to be on. Thanks so much for the conversation as well.